right. Good morning. How are you? Oh, that was hearty. I like it. How are y'all? Good, good. Happy Easter. All right, good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, I am glad to be worshiping. Uh, my name is Tori. If you're a guest or new, uh, I'm one of the pastors here at the well. And so uh, just encouraged to see all of you guys, uh, new faces, old faces, uh, just excited to worship Jesus today. Um, obviously, uh, on Easter, the reason why we gather together is because what we do is we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, okay? However, I also am very excited about the barbecue afterwards, let's be honest, all right? And so I'm going to try to not go too long. But let's be honest, it's Easter. That probably ain't happening, all right? But I'm going to try, okay? Um, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Uh, you can flip over to Isaiah 55. We're actually going to look at two texts before that, but that will be our main text today. So Isaiah chapter 55. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some under every second and third chair somewhere around you. Uh, if you physically don't own a Bible, um, we would ask that you would take and keep that Bible. That's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word to be able to use it throughout the week. And so please take and keep that one. Um, if you can't find one around you and you need one, please ask somebody afterwards. We want you to have the word. Um, you can also follow along on your smartphone. If you have the Version app uh, underneath the tab section, uh, click on events, type in the Well Austin, and you can follow along that way. Uh, there are notes, places for uh, all the scripture, things like that. If you don't have that or don't know what I'm talking about in that app, you can actually take this link and put it right into your browser, and you'll be able to follow along that way. We want your eyes on the word today, okay? And so we want to offer as many different avenues as we can so that you can see that these words that we are about to communicate are not just the words of a guy that's standing on stage with a microphone, all right? We want you to see that these are actually the words of God or what we believe are the words of God to us that speak life into our souls. And so I would encourage you to find a way to look at the word, whatever that might look like. As you're turning to Isaiah 55, uh, I have a quick story I want to tell. So um, I remember, all right, my first day of kindergarten. Now, for those of you who know me, that's actually a little bit profound in and of itself because my childhood before like 15 is very, 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 very foggy. Like I don't have many memories, all right? But I remember my first day of kindergarten, partly because uh, kids were crying hysterically all over the place, right? Snot and sobbing. Parents are crying hysterically all over the place, okay? Their babies are going to school now. Uh, and I was standing like in the middle of the room, just very, very confused, all right? And so I'm just standing there, I'm kind of looking around trying to figure out what happened. The reason I was confused is because my mom told me that when I went to school, I would get a snack. And so I was waiting for a snack because I was in school, you know? So I'm kind of standing there, I'm just like waiting for a snack, all right? And then literally, uh, this little girl walked over to me and she kissed me, all right? This is not a made-up story at all, okay? 17 seconds into my scholarly experience, I was kissed by a girl, all right? And so uh, she kisses me, and uh, the, the funny thing was that I was always tall, all right? I was always a lot taller. And so I guess being a kindergartner and hitting growth spurts further than the rest of my classmates, she literally had to, like, jump up and kiss me. So she went, all right, and jumped up and gave me a kiss, okay? And I remember thinking, wow, am I that irresistible? <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. That's, that part's a lie. That's not true. Um, but I did think, I did think, oh, wow, that, that was nice, you know. And so began kind of my long journey of wanting to be liked by women, all right. Um, that journey really hit fruition, okay, in third grade, all right. Um, I had a teacher named Mrs. Papazian, all right. Every single fiber in my being hopes that there is not any chance that she is listening to this podcast today, okay? Because that would be really awkward, all right? Um, but uh, Mrs. P, I thought she had a crush on me, okay? That's just what I thought. And so uh, like three days into class, that crush was actually confirmed because she moved my desk right next to her desk, all right? <laughs> 
Now, she told me it was because I talked too much, okay? But let's be honest, we all know the real motivation. When Natalie liked me, she came and sat next to me, all right? And so that's just what happened. So the rest of the semester was me trying to remind her that she liked me, all right? And so I would try to do things, and I always got in trouble for talking too much, and now I'm a preacher who talks too much, so there's a correlation there, all right? But I remember, like, that desire in me, even in third grade, to desire to have a woman who liked me or desire to have a woman who, who said, yeah, that's the person that I really admire. That's the person, and because she was old and had a job and could buy me Skittles, I wanted her, right? And so um, that satisfaction or that significance, I remember is what I was looking for, okay? Now, I can guarantee you I did not use the word satisfaction and significance, all right? First of all, I was in the third grade, so I probably didn't know those words, particularly being from Detroit public school systems, okay? Um, But I remember thinking that, hey, I wanted this, but I never actually put a, a, a staple or a stamp on that's what I wanted until about a decade plus later, okay? And so it was way after, I mean, I was, I, was, I was over 20, okay? So it wasn't like I cannot conceptually think about this anymore. I was growing into adulthood and should have been able to realize the condition of my heart, but I really didn't have any grasp as to why this was so intricate into my life, why I needed so desperately to have somebody who was a woman particularly, affirm me and affirm who I am. And so uh, we're going to get back to that story in a second, okay? I'm going to ask you to hold on to that story, all right? Y'all are like, this is Easter. Where the heck is he going, all right? We're going to come back to it, I promise, okay? What we're doing is we're finishing up a series today called Jesus Is, all right? And so we've been looking at this for the past couple of weeks. So we're focusing on what scripture lays out about Jesus because as the sermon bumpers show, there are many different uh, images or thoughts about who we think Jesus is. And so we see the buddy Jesus, right? Like, gotcha friend, right? We see the like Jesus carrying the overdosed heroin addict Jesus. Like you all know that picture, right? We see the machine gun Jesus. I don't really know who thinks that, but... People do, all right? And we see all these different things about Jesus, but what does scripture say that Jesus is? That's what we're trying to focus on because this is where we find the life and the story of Christ. And so what is it that scripture says? Who do we say he is? Uh, You don't have to turn here, but in Revelation chapter one, verse four, it reads this. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And so that's what we are focusing on, who is and who was and who is to come. Last week, we looked at Jesus, who is to come. And so because the resurrection is true, because of what we're going to talk about today, because that's a true fact, then we can have a surety and assurance that Jesus will return again for his church and to bring us home with him. This is a, a, a true fact of Jesus. Two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus, who was, all right? And so we focused on two things there. We said, Jesus has always been in existence. He has always existed as God. In fact, Jesus is God. That's what we looked at first. So Jesus was not just a man that lived 2,000 years ago, but the scriptures proclaim that Jesus has always been living. He's always, he's eternal. He's God himself. And scriptures make that very plain. What scriptures also make plain, though, in the Jesus who was, was that Jesus was a man that put on flesh that lived 2,000 years ago. And Jesus walked amongst us and and did miracles and, and did profound things. That Jesus actually, literally, was a man like you and like I, or a woman, a human, right? Like you and like I, where Jesus was living there on earth. Jesus was present, active amongst us. And so this is important because if Jesus was present and was real, And if Jesus did the things that he claims to do in scripture, then that puts a huge emphasis onto us and a huge, honestly, burden and almost pressure onto us. 
Because what we read was C.S. Lewis's famous argument where it says, hey, when Jesus proclaimed that he was Lord, when he said, I am God, there is no other way to be saved except through me. You need to worship me. When Jesus is making these intense claims, he takes himself out of the camp of just being a great teacher, right? So most of secular human history says Jesus existed. There's very, very few people who would, who would say against that. Everything in all of, all of research, all scientific facts shows that there was an actual man named Jesus, okay? And most people would say, yeah, Jesus was a good teacher. But when he says, I'm God, that's not really good teaching unless it's true, right? And so C.S. Lewis says he's either Lord, he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. He's Lord in that we need to worship him and, and surrender our lives to him. Or he's a liar. He says, hey, I'm God, but he's not actually God. That makes him like the devil of hell himself, C.S. Lewis says. Why would we call that guy a good teacher? That's deceptive. Or he's a lunatic. He thinks he's God, right? Like, I can say, hey, guys, I'm God. And you would go, this dude's crazy. Let's leave before the barbecue comes, right? Like, we don't say those things. And so Jesus is either Lord, he's a liar, or a lunatic. And we have to wrestle with that truth. That's what we looked at. Jesus actually existed, and that's important for us, okay? And so all those sermons are online if you want to listen to those. But today I want to focus on two things very simply, all right? I want to focus on how is it that we can live forever, all right, how is it that we can live forever? And secondly, how can we live? Like right now, how can we actually live, okay? How can our hearts come alive? How can we live the life that God has called us to? How can we have abundant life? The things that we are searching for, how is it that we can live, all right? So we're focusing on Jesus who is, okay? That's the third piece in that verse there in Revelation, Jesus who is. Now, I don't really know why I saved the hardest sermon for Easter week, all right, um, but since Bob is in Brazil today, I'll just blame him for that. It's Bob's fault, all right, um, but it's not hard because we don't really know what to talk about, okay? On the contrary, it's hard because there's just too much to talk about in the fact that Jesus is, okay? Like, Jesus is, and Scripture says a lot of things about that statement of Jesus, and so you say, what do you mean? Well, I put up a list for us here of different things that it says that Jesus is. Now listen, this literally barely even scratches the surface of all the things that Scripture says. Here's who Jesus is, okay? So we don't even scratch the surface here. Now, I want to look through some of these things, and all I did was I picked some of my favorite ones, the ones that mean a lot to me. There are, once again, hundreds of them in Scripture, okay? So for example, the first one, it says Jesus is our peace. It does not say that Jesus gives us peace. It says that he is our peace. Are you tracking with that? The difference in there, okay? And so he's far more than just a man who can give us some peace by changing our situation or our circumstance. No, he himself is our literal peace. This is why in the midst of the deepest hell, the Christian can still have an overwhelming amount of peace because our peace doesn't depend on our circumstances or our situations, but rather on the God who we are submitted to because Jesus is our peace. So we can be going through the darkest moment of our life all the way up until we die, but we know we have peace because Jesus dwells inside of us. Jesus is our peace, right? So look at those, peace. He's our hope, right? Jesus is our hope. Our hope is found in him. He is our life. He's our true living. If we really want to live, we have to live through Jesus. He's our rest. He's where we find solace and solitude and rest for our weary and burdened souls. And we can go on and on and on throughout this list, okay? Now, I want you to hang on for this for a second too, okay? Because we're going to get back to it. I know you only have two hands, so these are the only things I'm going to give you. That I really, really like dating women and this, all right? 
All right, can you hold on to those? All right, you're like, where is this dude going? I'm trying, all right, I'm running there, okay? But I wanna, I wanna think about this in a second because I think this is important. This is who Jesus is. These things are who Jesus is in his very beam, all right? Now, we already read the text in uh, Luke chapter 24, and so I'm not going to reread the whole thing today. But um, I wanna look at one of the things that's said here. So Luke chapter 24, and then we're going to pick it up in verse five. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee. So we see that Jesus physically and literally died on the cross. This wasn't metaphorical. He didn't, there wasn't some spoof theory where he didn't really die. No, Jesus actually died. They went to the tomb. They were trying to find the body of Jesus. And I love the question that the angels proposed there to the women. They're like, why are you at a grave if you're seeking for someone who's living? right? Like, I don't know about you, but I don't hang out at the graves, right? That's kind of what they're telling them. Hey, this man is alive. Why are you coming to the grave to seek him? Jesus has resurrected just like he told you he would. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? Do you remember when he said, I'm going to die and three days later, I'll rise again. Three days later, I'll be living again forever, never to die again. He can't be found in the grave because he's alive. And it's not just that he's alive. He's alive never, ever to die again. And here's why this is an exciting piece of who Jesus is. So one of the things that says Jesus is alive, right? It is the fact that he is alive, but also he can make us alive. He is where a, a, a liveliness is found, is actually in Jesus, because in dying on the cross and then in raising again to new life, this is evidence and proof that for those of us who place our faith in him, we too will raise to everlasting life. Because he died, because he rose, this is our proof that we will live forever when we go stand before Jesus. This is the promises of scripture. Matter of fact, this is kind of the pinnacle point, the thing on which all of scripture kind of swings is how do we know that we can live forever and Jesus' resurrection was proof of that. The resurrection of Jesus was proof that we can live forever, that he fulfilled the promises. So I say this often. If you've been here the past couple of weeks, you've heard me say, I said it at Good Friday service too. But I just think it's a really important point. No one else promises eternity that can back it up with the resurrection. Right? Are you shocking with that? Like there are other people, there are many other said prophets, there are many other even said gods who promise us eternity. Hey, you can live forever, but there's nobody else that can back it up with the resurrection. No other God came and died and then rose again proving, hey, look, I can defeat death, even the death that's inside of you. No other prophet has done that. Nobody else has proven to us that we can live again. And so if we want to live forever, how do we know, how do we have assurance in anyone else except for Jesus Christ? He was the only one that rose. He was the only one that died and rose. And as God and as man, he can pay for the penalty that separates us and God, but yet overcome our sin because he himself is God. And so this is important, okay, that he rose from the grave physically and literally. And that means that we can know that we will. This is good news. In fact, this is what we call the gospel. The word gospel just means good news, okay? And so this is the gospel of our faith. The, the good news is that Jesus overcame the grave by believing in him. We can overcome the grave too. We can live forever. This is a good thing. 
This is why we worship on Sunday. This is why we sing songs. This is why we gather together, not just on Easter, but in our lives in general, because we realize that Jesus is alive. Not just on Sunday do we remember him, but he's alive every single day in our lives. And so he can alter all of who we are. He can alter everything about us. He can be present in all of what we have to accomplish and all the things that we look forward to. The, the truth of the gospel is that we have sinned Okay, and in our sin, we have offended a holy God. If you've been at church before, you, you've probably heard this. But all of us have this sin that offends a holy God. We, we do bad things, we say bad things, we don't do things that we should be doing. We have an offense, we have a debt that is collected against God. And because of that, we've been separated from a relationship with God. Our hearts know that they were made for something greater, but we can't figure out what that is. And there's a separation between us and God. But God loves you so much that he sent Jesus. Jesus loves you so much that he died on the cross for us, that we can have life in him. So Jesus died the death that we should have died and lived the life that we could never, ever live. And the Bible says that if we place our faith in him, if we believe in him, then this life that Jesus has can also be given to us. The fact that he is alive, that can also be given to you and I. If we believe in Jesus, if we worship him as God, then he will see us the way that he should have saw Christ, which is perfect because he saw Christ the way he should have seen you, which was guilty. And that's the crux, that's the, that's the crux of our message, of our Christian faith, that's what we call the gospel. Now, the resurrection is good news because it clears up our eternity, okay? It says, hey, look, this is how you can live forever. This is how you can have eternal life, by placing our trust, our faith, our, our hope in Jesus. We can know that we will live forever because we know that he lives forever, Jesus is. He is right now. It's not Jesus was only, but he literally, he is. Even right now, Jesus is alive, active, and moving. If we want harmony with God, then we have to find it through the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is how we find life with God. But listen, okay? It doesn't stop here, right? Like that's a beautiful, beautiful, that's the, the pinnacle of our faith, but it does not stop there, all right? It's like an infomercial. It's like, but wait, there's more, right? And there is more, okay? This is the beauty of the gospel. If we are saved from sin and death, then that is an awesome thing, amen? Like if that's all that the scripture said about the, the gospel, hey, look, if you believe in Jesus, you, you won't die, you'll go to heaven, you'll live forever with God, you'll be saved from your sins. If that is stopped there, man, that, that deserves all of our affection and worship forever and ever. But there's more. The Bible doesn't stop there, Right? By the way, it's hot to death in this joint, all right? I see some of y'all like trying to wipe it away. You see me, it's all right, all right? Um, we'll, we'll, we'll carry on. Welcome to an elementary school, okay? Um, this gospel message actually carries over into every single area of our lives, okay? Listen, this message is not just a get out of hell free card, right? You tracking with that? You know, Monopoly, you get to get out of jail free card, you know? It's like, whew, now I get to go again, okay? That's not all that this message is. The gospel does indeed affect our eternity, and in that we rejoice, but it also affects our present today, right now, our lives that we live. The gospel actually alters our life. In fact, you can't have the gospel of the resurrection without the gospel impacting your life today. If Jesus is true, if he is alive, if you have believed in him, if you have placed your faith in him, then it alters all of who you are. It changes things about you. It changes who you are as a person. It makes you more like Jesus and it makes you come alive. 
And if you come alive, everything looks different. Everything looks different. Isaiah 53, let's dive into our text. I'm sorry, Isaiah 55. So just a little bit of quick background story. Isaiah 53 is a prophecy about the, the suffering servant who is to come. And it says, this servant will come and he will die on the cross for your sins. And by believing in him, your, your, your sins can be placed upon him and his righteousness can be placed upon you. Isaiah 54 is then about the covenant that God makes with us. It says, hey, hey, because of this truth, there's an eternal covenant that's made with you. If you believe in this, you will be sealed. You have Jesus forever. You can have confidence in this. And then Isaiah 55 goes into the practicality of the gospel. Let's read. 55 verse 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money or without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me here that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. I mean, goodness, isn't this, there's so much beauty in this passage, right? Like, come, come, come. In fact, he says it five times there. Go to the next slide. I highlighted some of that. Come, he says over and over. Come again, come again. Five times he's saying that. Hey, eat, drink, like satisfy yourself. If you're simple, and you're a health nut, drink water, right? There's water for you that satisfies. If you're a little bit more complex, if you like uh, uh, delicacies, all right, milk was a delicacy in that culture, man, then have milk. In our culture, it'd be like a latte or something, right? Like, hey, come have a latte. And best of all, it doesn't cost seven thirteen; it's free, right? <laughs> like, come, receive this, okay? Uh, if you like delicacies and you did not grow up Baptist, then come have wine, it says, right? <laughs> My, uh, my recovering Baptist, get that joke, all right? It says, hey, come, come have all of it. Have what your soul, what your heart desires, and best of all, it's free. Now, listen, the non-religious, okay, or the a-religious, if that's you in here, you, you don't really uh, would consider yourself a, a Christian or, or really following, uh, they believe in this statement in a way, okay? I found that to be very, very true. They want milk and wine, right? Like, you don't have to believe in Jesus to want really, really good things, to want delicacies, to want what your soul was craved for. It's the religious people that have a problem with this statement, okay? It's the religious people who often have a problem with this statement. The non-religious people tend to think, yes, I want that satisfaction. I, I want that delight. I want that joy. I want what my heart is craving. Religious people, what they tend to do is they try to give up delicacies in order to appease God. Are you tracking with that? They try to give up the things that the gospel freely offers to show that they are worthy of God's affection or approval. So they'll say, I, I, I'll be a good enough person. I won't do these bad things. I'll, I'll give these things up. I'll, I'll, I'll do the right things. I'll help other people. And they'll give and give and give. And they're trying to appease God by giving up, right? So no wine, no bread. If you're a Baptist, no dancing, right? <laughs> I'm going to give these things up, and this is how I will appease God. And some of you are in this boat. Some of you are in this boat. You think, if I have a quiet time, if I go to church, if, if I sing this song loud enough, if, if I do the right things, and this is how I will appease God. By giving up, by doing, by doing. But the non-religious, they tend to get it. However, what they tend to do is they tend to seek delicacies and other things. And so the gospel says, hey, you seek delicacies in me, in Jesus, come to me. 
And so a job will be true satisfaction, they may say. And so if I can just climb that ladder high enough, if, if I can just work enough, if I get that promotion, that will be my wine. That will be my satisfaction. If I can sleep with enough women, if I can show somebody that, hey, look, I'm worthy, then, then this will be my bread. This will be my delight. If I could just see the world, just, just travel and see the whole world, then this is what my soul was made for. This is where I'll find my true hope. If I drink every weekend or, or have that car or whatever it may be, we all hit different veins a little bit, but that's what we say, hey, this is where I will find my delight. The ironic thing is that the non-religious are actually seeking the right thing, but you're not fully satisfied, are you? I wasn't. I say this confidently from my own testimony. Like, I was not fully satisfied. See, the religious spend their time trying to deny themselves. They put rules and regulations and constrictions upon themselves, but they're missing the point. They're not seeking the right thing. The non-religious people are seeking the right thing, which is their pleasure, but they're seeking it in the wrong places. But the gospel is very different than both the religious and the non-religious perspective. The gospel tells the religious and the non-religious there's a different path. And in a lot of ways, the gospel offends both the religious and the non-religious, right? It offends the religious because it says, come, you can't do this by yourself, Come to me. Come, Jesus says. And that was a message while he was on earth. Hey, come, you who are weary. Hey, come, you need a doctor. Come to me. You can't be good enough. Come. But to the non-religious, he says, hey, drink, eat, be satisfied. But it's in me. It's in me. And both sides, a lot of times, it, it rubs against kind of who we are. And so I think that this is interesting, right? The, the non-religious, they're listening to the inklings of their heart, but if we're honest, we're never fully satisfied in these things that the world can offer. Like, have you really found your solace? Have you really found your peace or is your situation and circumstance just okay right now? But let hell break loose. Will you then still have peace? Jesus says, if you find me, if you're in me, then I am your peace. Yes, you will. Will you still have rest, Right? On Saturday or Sunday after you wake up from that fling or the, fling or the party, is your soul really full at that moment? Or does the wine wear off, right? Uh, on Wednesday night when you're up working late and, and you're rejecting your family because you just really, really, really need to get that next job, you, you need to get it, and then you actually get it. Is that what your soul was made for? Is that where you find delight, satisfaction, the car you buy? Aren't you tired of it in like a year and a half? No matter how expensive it is, when you got to go fix it, it's just more expensive then. So that stinks, <laughs> right? The new iPhone's out, okay? The, the new Galaxy's out. If you're a droid person, that means you're more holy than the other ones, all right? You're not a conformer. Just kidding. But like, aren't you, I mean, man, aren't you tired when you stop and think about it? There's always something else. There's always something more. There's something more. And this is what the text is saying, okay? You're spending your money, but you're not spending it on bread, <laughs> You're not spending it on that which can satisfy. You're getting full, but it's because you're eating air. You're eating fluff. You're eating filling. It's not nu uh, nutritious. It doesn't satisfy the soul the way that it was made to be satisfied. Your soul was made for so much more. And outside of Christ, if you're finding your satisfaction in these things, you're selling yourself cheap. You're selling yourself cheap. And this is why you're hungry. Because though eating a lot, it's just fluff. 
and you can't find satisfaction. So the prophet Isaiah is begging us, right? He says, listen, listen diligently. Like command your soul. Think about this for a moment. Don't just put this to bed. Think about this and listen to me. I have the answer. I have the solution. Listen that your soul may live and come alive. Because Jesus is alive. And that's where we find it. So back to my story with girls. Still holding on? All right. Before my wife, Natalie, okay, um, I dated 27 different women, all right? Some of you are like, this dude's a pastor? Yes, Jesus saves, okay? <laughs> For me, it wasn't really about the money that did it, okay? It wasn't really like the toys. Like, I, I never thought like, ooh, if I could just get a Ferrari, then I, like, I, I, that'd be nice, all right? Don't get me wrong. But I didn't really find a whole lot of delight or satisfaction in that, okay? It was notoriety, and success, which that's another confession for another sermon for another time, all right? And women, like those were the two things. And so I dated and 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 I was trying to find this satisfaction, this thing that my soul was, was made for. I was trying to find it in these women. And so I dated beautiful women. I thought, oh, maybe beauty has it, right? Why don't you just look like you, beautiful woman? Stop being a hater, all right? Haters, all right? Funny women, okay? Christian women, when I was not a Christian, I thought, well, they're, they're pretty good people. Maybe that will be cool, right? Smart women or popular women, whatever it was, I dated and I dated, and I spent my money, I spent my time, I spent my resources trying to find my delight there. I was spending money in that which was not free, and I was spending and spending. Literally, I was spending money because dating is expensive. I wish someone would have told me that, and I would have pursued a different pursuit, all right? But I spent and I spent and I spent, and I was trying to find my satisfaction in something that could not satisfy. Now, listen to me. Listen very clearly. Here's what I usually did, though. I would start dating a girl. And it would take like two or three weeks. I know, I'm shallow. It's okay. Jesus saves. It would take two or three weeks, all right? And then I would start feeling empty again. And instead of listening to my soul, instead of listening to what was screaming out from inside of me, I would shut that up, right? You tracking with that? I would shut that up. I would go, well, it's just because she's lame. She doesn't even laugh at my jokes, and I'm funny, all right? And so let's go to somebody else. And she would really laugh at my jokes, and I'd be like, well, yeah, but, but she doesn't, you know, whatever it may be. And, and I would keep finding, every time I would feel empty, I would hear my soul kind of pleading with me, hey, there's something more. But instead, I would just date women, and I would date, and I would try to find that in something else outside of what my soul was screaming at me, saying there's something more. There's something more. I would go, nah, it's cool. I'll find my own way. I'll keep trying to find that wine somewhere else, that bread, that water somewhere else. At the meantime, one of the things that I was really struggling with was this, this idea that, hey, was I good enough? I wanted someone to affirm me. And so if you knew me before Jesus, you would know that was my main motivation. Even in the women that I dated, I was trying to get other people to affirm me. So I'd go, hey, hey, look at this. Aren't I cool? Aren't I awesome? Would somebody please give me affection? Would, would somebody please tell me how great I am? Would somebody accept me? And that's what I was searching for the whole time, never listening to what was inside of my soul. C.S. Lewis says this about this voice that cries out. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there's such thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is a such thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is a such thing as sex. 
If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Love that. And so then what do we do about this then? What, 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 it, what is this? What is this, this other world that we speak of? Let's finish our text. Isaiah chapter six, or chapter, I'm sorry, verse six. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Forgive us for running away and trying to do our own thing. Forgive us for for trying to find satisfaction in things outside of him and trying to find value in things that aren't actually valuable and trying to find life in that which is gonna die. He says, hey, come. And you may be prone to think, like I was, really? Believing in Jesus gives you life everlasting. That's it. I just believe, in, I just believe in, in this. I put my faith in him. That's it. Look at what the text finishes out. I love this. It's like Isaiah reads that thought. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are, my ways your, my, uh, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Yes, indeed. That's it. It says, come to me, come to me, believe in me, come to me and you will have life. Listen, friends, Jesus is the true wine that never dies out. Matter of fact, John chapter two highlights this truth. What Isaiah is talking about is nothing more than a foreshadow of who Jesus is. In the party, the wine runs out and, and Jesus makes wine that satisfies even more, but then he alludes to himself being the true wine. And in a while, we're gonna take communion remembering that truth, that he's the wine that we never come down off of. We're, we're, we're always intoxicated with him and who he is. He's the true wine that our soul is craving. He's the true bread that our soul hungers for, John 6 tells us. He's the true water that will satisfy forever, John 4 tells us. And on and on again, everything that we see in Isaiah 55, Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of that. If you want to find this, that your soul may live, you find it in me, Jesus said over and over and over again. And so while I'm screaming out, will somebody please affirm me? Will somebody tell me I'm worthy? The gospel tells me, yes, you are. Because Jesus died for you. Jesus now calls you a brother. Listen, friends, one day, because of the gospel, I will literally be on the throne with God himself, conversing with him, intimate with him, one with him in this marriage bond between us and Christ. Isn't that affirmation? Isn't that what my soul was screaming out for that I couldn't find in other things? It's the gospel. This is what our hearts crave. This is what we were made for. The earth is not a fraud. All of these other things are nothing more than a foreshadow of what our souls truly need. And so listen, now I'm married to a very beautiful, very funny, very awesome woman in Natalie, but I don't place the burden on her of messiahship. She's not my savior. Jesus is. I don't force her to delight me or to bring me joy or to bring me satisfaction. No, instead I find that in Jesus and now this is just a good gift, a reminder of what my heart was truly made for, which is a relationship with him. And so all these other good things that we're seeking, listen, these are good things, 
But the, uh, the Bible, the gospel tells us, find your satisfaction in Jesus. What I'm telling you is, seek that which brings you most pleasure. I mean, that sounds like good news, doesn't it? Seek what satisfies you the most. Seek what makes you most happy, most full. I'm just convinced that all these other things are empty and that Jesus is the only one that can truly satisfy. See, this is the beauty of the gospel. It's not just that we live forever, though hallelujah, amen to that, and that's what we're about to sing to here in a second, that we will live forever with him. But the gospel also tells us you can live now, today, right now. See, if Jesus is only an Easter thing, you're selling yourself short. You're missing true life. If Jesus is the only thing that we do once a year and he's our get out of hell free card and that's it, man, you're missing it. And you're gonna keep searching. You're gonna keep trying to find. You're gonna keep trying to long and it's found. It's free. But here's the funny thing. All the things that we desire most are not free, right? Like a, a, a marriage, those of you who are married, you know it ain't free, <laughs> right? Costs a lot of your emotional time, a lot of your actual resources, a lot of, right? The, these jobs, man, they, they cost a lot of your time, your energy, your effort. All these things aren't free. And the gospel says, the Bible says, hey, if you come to Jesus, they're free for you. But it costs somebody something. And that was Jesus. It cost him a high price to purchase your freedom. Jesus bled and suffered and died, took on the wrath of God, all of our sins, the, the punishment that we deserve. He took on all that. He paid a high cost that you may freely come and drink. Friends, why would you drink cheap wine? Stop going to Trader Joe's. <laughs> Man, drink this $500 wine in Jesus, right? Man, he wants your soul to taste and to live, come alive in Christ, even today. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the truths of the gospel. Lord, if we were to try to unpack all of the beauty of the gospel, we would be here for the next thousand weeks. <laughs> and we wouldn't even begin to scratch the surface on that. God, I thank you that you are our life, our joy, our hope, our peace. You are everything that we need. Jesus, I personally confess that I do not see you as that at all times. I do try to find satisfaction in other things. I place the burden and pressure of, of messiahship upon my wife. God, forgive me for that. I place the burden, the, the pressure of messiahship upon this church. God, forgive me for that. Let me find everything that my, that my soul is longing for in you, Jesus. And God, let that be true of us in here today. Because of the resurrection, you prove that you were God. <laughs> You prove that you now live. God, let us find life in you. Let us find life in you, Jesus. I don't, I don't want to neglect this opportunity. Uh, with every head bowed and, and eyes closed, I, I, I want to, to take this time to say I know that there are some of you who, who Jesus is just an Easter thing. And maybe you, you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe, maybe you don't know him as brother and friend. Maybe you don't know him as the lover of your soul. Maybe you aren't finding your satisfaction in Christ. 
And I want to encourage you. We're not going to make you come out to the altar or, or do anything weird. But even right now, if that's you, I want to challenge you for a second. And say, would you ask Jesus, would you ask the Lord, ask the Holy Spirit to, to, to press on your heart that God would reveal himself to you in powerful ways By believing in him, we get life everlasting. And here's what I want to do. If you don't know Jesus and you say, man, I want to know Jesus today. I want him to be my hope. I'm going to pray here in a second. And I would encourage you to pray just in your heart. Pray that this would be true of you too. Say, God, I want you. I want you, not just because of the things you can give, because you're alive, you're God, you're worthy of worship. God, I am sorry that I find my satisfaction in things besides you. Jesus, I believe in you and what you have done for me. Help me to find my hope in you. Teach me to walk with you. And if you're a Christian in here today, and maybe you, once again, just come during Easter, or maybe you're here all the time, but you know that your soul is kind of dead, it's, it's dull, you have not been believing this gospel truth, you have not been living this in your life, I want to pray for you too. And we ask God that you would help us to come alive not just on Sunday, Easter Sunday, God, not just on Sunday, week in and week out, but that we would come alive in you, Jesus. God, show us your character through your word. Teach us how to pray like you. Help us to have fellowship with others that we may, through that, see you. God, help us live. Help us to live. I pray these things in your very beautiful name, Jesus. Amen.